That's our prayer, God. Take our lives. Oh, God, and, and within that prayer is an understanding that there's no better place for us to give our lives than to you. Take our lives. Take my life, God. Oh, take it from me in so many ways, the things that I do and the things that I choose, Lord, bring such pain to me. Take my life. Help me know the purpose that you've designed for me. Help me live out who you have made me to be. Take my life. Take my hands, Lord. Keep them from doing the things that are damaging to myself and to others. Take my hands. Use them for your glory. My feet, Lord, keep them, keep them from taking me to the places that are harmful and, and, and allow me to go to the places that you've designed. Take my intellect, the, the mind, Lord, that I have and so often use to think about things that are dishonoring. Take that. Take the things that I think that I own and remind me that they're yours. Take, take them. Use them for your glory. Take my lips the words that come from my mouth so often are hurtful and harmful to people. Take those words, Lord, and, and let them be used by you that nothing unwholesome would come out of my mouth because I'm living out of a life that's totally given over to you who have purchased my life. Oh, God, in each of our lives, help that to be true that you would take our lives and let them be all that you have designed for them to be as we wait for the moment that you scoop us up to take us to be with you forever. And we pray this in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, worship team. I released the children through grade four. You may not be aware of this, but the kids are going through the same lessons that we are as we release them we release them and they're going through mark just the same as we are so if you're a parent here you'll be able to talk to your children about the things that we're learning here and they're learning the same things down there and so we're in mark chapter one today and uh pastor tim opened up and shared with us verses one through 13 last week this week we will be in verses 14 through the end of the chapter and on the front of your bulletin, it talks about Jesus, the Son of Man, focused on his mission, the study in the book of Mark. And, and we talk about Jesus bursting onto the scene. He just bursts into the world. And, and in Mark, and as Pastor Tim talked about last week, there's this urgency within Mark. It's such an amazing gospel as it just grips. And it's, it's Mark telling the story that Peter had told him. Peter was an eyewitness, walked with Jesus all along the way, and, and Peter told these things to Mark, and Mark passed them on through his gospel. And so there's immediacy, and there's all of these things, and also there's the emotions of Jesus that come alive in Mark in a way that they don't come alive in any other gospel. And so we're excited to look into this. And I've challenged you to consider what it would be like to read through the gospel of Mark each week. And, and part of the reason for that is because we long to understand the biblical narrative, okay? And the biblical narrative, as we understand what that is, as we understand God as he's revealed himself through the Bible, it shapes us and forms us and helps us to have a biblical worldview. And you see, 
all too often we allow ourselves, ourselves to be shaped by a cultural narrative. And we all know the cultural narrative very well. We understand how culture is telling us things should be and things should be written. And we are to be in the world, but not of the world. So we're supposed to understand the cultural narrative, but we're supposed to live out the biblical narrative. And that's what it means to know Christ and to make him known. And so as we do this and as we look at this Gospel of Mark, part of why we gather is to know about God, but we come so we can learn about him so that we can know him. It's about knowing him personally in our lives. And so as we look today at this passage, the title of the passage is The Time Has Come, and it comes from the verse right at the top of your notes there. The time has come, he, Jesus, said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. And, and as we look at this, it, it allows us to think about the big idea that the coming of Jesus changes everything. The coming of Jesus changes everything. And Mark is going to unpack this for us in a powerful way as we go through the whole book. And as we look today, we're going to see four different ways that the coming of Jesus changed everything immediately. Starting at verse 14, we see that it changes the reign. The kingdom of God is now near. Okay, and it says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Right away, Mark steps into it, and Jesus starts, starts teaching. These are his first words. It takes Matthew four chapters to get to this point. But Mark is engaged in the, all the immediacy and everything else, and, and Jesus comes on the scene, and it says here that, that after John was put in prison, and the, the original text, the words that, that talk there about handed over, John was handed over, and this is the same way that in chapter 3, it talks about Judas handing, uh, handing Jesus over for death. And, and so as we look at that, it's, it's like, okay, if John was handed over, who handed him over? And, and we understand from, from Scripture that it was God. God handed John over. And last week, Pastor Tim shared with us how, how John was so obedient and so humble that he said, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and tie the sandals. And, and so he understood and knew that in order for the ministry of Jesus to be made great, his ministry had to move away. And so John was able to, he was able to step in and, and, and be handed over. His ministry needed to end in order for the ministry of Jesus to begin. And Jesus comes and he says, the, ministry, the kingdom of God has come. It's come near. God's purposes and his plans are revealed. And John, John's being handed over reveals to us that we serve the purposes of God. We serve the purposes of God. And, and we can think of that, and, and some of us might be thinking, boy, that's just not fair, John. John worked so hard, he should have gotten a good retirement plan, and he should have, you know, and all these things, right? I mean, it all plays out. I did my part, God, do yours. But the life of John reveals that, listen, we, we are called to serve God in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, 
things need to happen for the kingdom of God to proceed. And John's example of not only being the forerunner of Jesus in ministry and in conflict, but in death, suffering in a way that God will be revealed. And we sang about that in that last song. So it changes the reign. The coming of the kingdom is a central theme in the gospel of Mark. We'll not only cover it here, we'll also cover it in chapter 4, 9, 10, 12, 14, and 15. I think there's something to it. Okay, it's, it's a theme that finds its way all through this gospel. And so it's this coming of the kingdom, and Jesus announces this. He comes and says, the kingdom of God has come near. So carry on with your lives. You know, and, and, and go ahead and enjoy yourself. And, and, you know, no. What does he say? The kingdom of God is here, and he says what? Repent. Repent, repent and believe the good news. You see, that's why Jesus came, was to tell the good news. And this idea of repent is to turn. See, this word repent means turn, and you know this. Let me refresh your memory. Jesus comes and he says, listen, you've been following the wrong king. You've been listening to the wrong voice. You've been under the wrong authority. You've been following the wrong thing. You need to repent. You need to turn. Because there's a new king and there's a new kingdom. And the kingdom is here. Now, it's not a new kingdom, but it's new that it's revealed here. And there's a new reign, and there's a new king. And that is the good news. And when you believe that good news, you're going to turn, and you're going to repent. The whole time Jesus is on earth, he will be telling people what this kingdom is like. George Ladd has said that the kingdom of God involves two great moments, the fulfillment within history and the consummation at the end of history. And the first moment is the one we're looking at today. It's finding its fulfillment in history as Jesus comes to the earth, but it will, it will find consummation at the end time when he comes back in great victory. So the reign is changing. How have we responded to the changing reign of our king. How have we responded to that reign of a king in our lives? Because we're looking at this truth that the coming of Jesus changes everything. The second thing we see is that it changes lives. The plan for future proclamation is presented. It changes lives. And I see that here in verses 16 forward. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. Do you see all the times just in those couple of short sentences and paragraphs, all the immediately's and at once and all of these things. Again, Mark is just, he's saying like, this, this is happening quick. Jesus is focused and things are happening. And so he stops and he's going by the Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter and he sees Andrew and they're casting out their nets. Other Gospels tell us that he had already had encounters with these two men. 
But he sees them and he says this. He says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. Come follow me and I will send you out. What we see here is that Jesus is calling to himself people so that he can create a community of followers. Create a community of followers. See, following Jesus is, is, is a gift. It's not an achievement. It's not an obligation. It's a gift that Jesus would turn to you and say, Adam, come follow me. And see, you have an opportunity when Jesus calls you. Come, follow me. Jesus says, come follow me. That's new. Prophets before this had said, follow God. Get back with God. Come back to God. You've got to get back to God. Jesus comes and says, come follow me. Jesus is God. It's time to follow him. And it talks about being tethered to Jesus. See, who are you tethered to? What are you tethered to? You follow that which you're tethered to. We got some skiers in here, water skiers, right? And you get tethered to the boat. You're going where the boat goes. And you're tethered to the boat. You get tethered to the pier, you're not going anywhere. Uh, well, maybe, but, you know, in a weird way. But, see, so you go where you're tethered. Are you tethered to Jesus? See, it's easy to get tethered to other things. Getting tethered to being busy, maybe getting tethered to church, getting tethered to Calvary. Maybe you can get tethered to your, to your relationships and your families. You can get tethered to all sorts of, tethered to your job, tethered to your retirement plan, tethered to your degree, tethered to your, what are you tethered to? Tethered to your favorite pastor. No, 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 no. We're tethered to Jesus. See, we come follow Jesus. Jesus is calling a community of people together. To follow him and to go out and fish. To go out and fish, it's no mistake that he went to fishermen first. He didn't go to shepherds. He didn't go to, to laborers in the fields. He'll use those analogies, but he went to fishermen first. And he said, you know, I'm going to send you out to fish, to hook people and bring them in. To go to fish, you go where the fish are. National Day of Prayer was Thursday, and it was over at Lake Lawn. And I was walking along with my friend Dave Adams, who's the pastor at Mount Zion. And he looks out the window at the lake, and he says, well, the crappies have moved. I looked out, and I said, yep. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. What's a crappie? No, I, you know, I know that. Okay, crappie's the type of fish that's found in Delavan Lake. So, but it's like, Dave says, you, you don't know what that means, do you? Do too? Nope. <laughs> he said, I, I was here a couple of days ago, and all the boats were here. All the fishermen were out here, and they were all pulling in crappies like crazy, but they're not here today. That means that the crappies have moved. I said, oh, of course, now I understand. You see, Jesus says, come follow me. 
Come follow me and I will send you out to where the fish are so that you can go fishing. That's why he came. He came so that he could seek and save the lost. And as he left, he entrusted that to us. And first he will entrust it to the disciples. At once they left their nets. At once they turned. They released their nets. At once. Has Jesus called you? Has he, has he called you to follow him? If he's called you to follow him, he's called you to follow him so that he could send you out. See, he's called you to come to know who he is, not know about him, but know him so that you can go and make him known. He's called to bring people the knowledge of who he is through the way we live our lives. But it requires that we leave our nets. What are your nets? What are those things that you need to leave behind? As, as Jesus approached James and John, they were in the boat with their father. More than likely, they were going to take over the family business. And Jesus called them. Probably said the same thing he said to Simon and Andrew. Come follow me. And at once they left. They left a successful business. They left their dad. They left their, their family. They left everything behind to follow Jesus. We don't know if they ever saw their father again. Today, it seems people think they can just add Jesus to everything else. Like, we're doing okay, and I could use some Jesus, so they just bring Jesus and add him in. That's not how Jesus calls us. Jesus calls us to leave our nets, tether ourselves to him, and go and make him known. So how are we doing with that? Have we left our nets to follow the call of Jesus? Because the coming of Jesus changes everything. It changes rain. It changes lives. We become part of this community of followers, all encouraging one another. It changes authority. God's authority is now revealed on earth. Big section of scripture here. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? a new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. They immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. 
That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Skip to verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. There's a change in authority. God's authority is revealed. First, we see it in his teaching. He steps into the synagogue on a Sabbath day, more than likely picks up the scroll and reads the text for today. And he begins to teach. But he doesn't speak about God. He speaks for God. And it's different. See, Jesus speaks for God, and the people are amazed. Have you found that to be true in your life? Have you found that when you pick up Scripture and you read what Jesus is teaching, and you read this, and you read what God is saying, and in many ways, when you get to a place where instead of reading Scripture, you're having Scripture read you, have you found yourself amazed at what God says through his word? See, for the first time ever, for the first time ever, God has stepped into the world and has begun to speak so that everyone could hear. Could you imagine being in this room today and having Jesus come and starting to speak for God? What would that do? You'd be like, whoa, this is amazing. The authority which Jesus has because he is God. Next, we see that he has authority over demons. Somehow, some way, a man was in their midst who was possessed by a demon and began to speak to Jesus in the middle of him teaching, crying out to him and telling him, I know who you are. Did you come to destroy us? It's a little obvious, I think. Yep. See, here's the deal. Jesus tells the demon to be quiet. Be quiet, and he says it sternly. See, that's the thing about the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, you see, it presents Jesus in, in a whole different way than the other Gospels. There's emotions and things here. I had somebody come up to me after the first service and say, I'm not comfortable with the way that this is going. I'm sorry. See, he's presented in a way that maybe doesn't fit your warm, fuzzy Jesus that you've defined. He's speaking sternly. Indignant, it says. He was indignant. What, what's that? that? No, filled with compassion. It's supposed to be filled with compassion. Where, where did this indignant word come in? 
See, Jesus has stepped into the fallen world. God has come. And the things that he sees in a fallen world, the things that he experiences, fully God, fully man. This, this indignant passage is talking about the emotions that are raw from the stomach. It's, this, it's just this raw response and reaction to the leprosy and to the man who's coming to him. And when we see this with the demon, he's got these emotions against this demon. He speaks to him certainly, be quiet. This is the exact same word that he, that he gave to the, to the water in, in chapter 4. He has authority. And he uses his authority, not in a prideful way, not at all. He uses his authority to sustain and maintain as he has designed. See, he is the sustainer. And all are under his sovereignty. This demon, this demon knew Jesus. He knew he was the son of God, the Holy One of God. He knew he was God. How did he know that? Because demons are fallen angels. This demon would have been in heaven and seen the Son of God. He would have seen Jesus in all his glory in heaven. This demon knew who Jesus was. And he was tormenting a man, and Jesus cast him out. Authority over disease. Authority over disease. They left the synagogue, walked 83 feet to Simon's house, and there they found his mother-in-law in bed. We don't know a lot about Simon's wife, but we know that, that she ministered with Simon. Corinthians tells us that she traveled with him, and, and for some reason her mother ended up with them. And that, that speaks to Simon's heart to care for her. And, and she was sick with a fever, which many times would have caused death at that point in time. And, and she's sick with a fever, and, and Jesus comes and, and touches her hand and heals her. And she gets up and begins to serve him. In this account, we see a couple of things that are true. First of all, Jesus loves to heal on the Sabbath. Jesus loves to heal on the Sabbath. This is a Sabbath day, and if we read through Scripture, we're going to find all sorts of places where Jesus heals on Sabbath. And he loves to do that. And so I'd ask you, do you have a Sabbath in your life? Do you cease? Do you stop? There's a reason why the Sabbath is taught all the way from Genesis 1. It's a, it's a gift that God gives us. So do you cease so that you can experience the healing touch of Jesus? And the second thing we see is that when Jesus heals us, he heals us so we can serve. She immediately got up and began to serve. And, and so we look at, at Jesus' healing touch. He heals us so that we can serve him. And, and, and so many times in, in Mark, we're going to see it's the women who serve. At the cross, he's going to talk about the women at a distance who, who had gone and served Jesus' needs while he was traveling about. The men catch on a little later of what it means to serve Jesus. The women caught it right away. Not at all like, like where we live. Right, yeah. The women started serving. And so listen, if you're healed by Jesus, you're healed so you can serve. The leper, real quickly, a couple of things. Jesus, if you're willing, you can meet, make me clean. And he reached out his hand and touched the man. And he made him clean. For the first time in history. You see, Leprosy was considered to be unclean. 
And only God could heal leprosy. When Naaman came to the king of Israel and, and said, you're supposed to heal me, the king said, who am I, God, that I could do this? See, only God can heal leprosy. It was understood. And so when, when this man came up to Jesus and said, if you're willing, you could make me clean, maybe unknown to him, but known to him, as he was asking God to heal him. And Jesus reached out and touched him. And then prior to that point, if anybody touched someone with leprosy, they were considered unclean. And for the first time in history, that which was clean touched that which was unclean. And instead of what was unclean, making the clean unclean, the clean made the unclean clean. Process that one for a while. But it, listen, that is so significant. The Holy One of God, God healed the leper, and the unclean was made clean. He was told not to tell anybody. The first thing that happened to him after he was healed, Jesus gave him a command, said, Don't go tell anybody. So he went and said, hey, Tim, did you hear what happened? Okay. Directly disobeyed. I've never done that, Janice, have you? <laughs> never disobeyed. Yeah, okay, I have too. All right, so this direct disobedience, and listen, you need to look at something here. There's a results to instead. Instead of obeying, he disobeyed, and as a result, Jesus was no longer able to go into the cities. See, there's a results of instead. Our disobedience has a results. And so it's important to see that, that we need to do those things that Jesus has told us to. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. So how does knowing Jesus have all authority change our lives? The final thing we see real quickly here is that it changes access. We're looking at the coming of Jesus changing everything. First, we saw it changes the rain. Second, we saw it changes lives. Third, we saw that it changes the authority. Finally, we're going to see that it changes access. And that comes in these verses where it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So many significant things in here. But I just want to leave you with a couple. First, Jesus went off to a solitary place. We're told in Scripture that we have a high priest who can sympathize with us because he's been tempted in every way just the same as we are. Jesus was tempted just like we are. Pride, arrogance, all of these things, all of the sins that you face, Jesus was also tempted with. And yet he stood up under them. And I think this verse gives us a beautiful illustration of how he went and found a solitary place to pray. He went and hooked up with the Father. And he went to that place, and, and the solitary place is, is mindful of the wilderness, and in the wilderness, as he went into the wilderness, he was tempted by Satan. And when he went to the solitary place to pray, he was tempted, could I say, by the disciples. The disciples came, and inadvertently, they tempted him. Now remember, Simon is the one who Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. 
Okay, and so, so Simon, Peter, understands the emotions that, that come from Jesus when you, when you do something like this. And so these verses that say that they went to look for him, the original text actually mean they hunted him down. Okay, so the disciples put together a party and hunted Jesus down because they had something they needed him to do. Simon's house was full of people again who wanted the show. They wanted, they wanted the healing. They wanted the good part of what Jesus' ministry was. They wanted him to come back and to do those things that were so good. See, see, because so many times we look at Jesus and we think of it like here's, the, here's Aladdin's lamp and we, and we rub it and out comes the genie and we go, I wish I had. And so many times what we do is we take the good of Jesus' ministry and we miss out on the best. And what, what Jesus is doing, and the reason, listen, the reason that he was telling people, don't, silencing demons and telling people, don't tell people about me. Because listen, all they were doing was telling about the good of Jesus. They were missing telling people about the best. And the best of Jesus is the gospel. He said, let's go over there so that I can preach the gospel there because that's what I've come to do. That's the best of Jesus. When we get wrapped up wanting the good of Jesus, we miss the best of Jesus. And Simon didn't quite get it yet, and you can't blame him because it's been like three days he's known Jesus. But for some of us, it's been a lot longer. And if we're not careful, we're still wanting the good of Jesus and not the best. The best of Jesus is the truth that God has come to give me a new life. He hasn't come to add himself to my already messed up life. He has come to make me a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I no longer am in the realm of Satan. I am in the realm of the King Jesus. I have been rescued from death and brought into life. I am a new man. I am a new creation. That's the best of Jesus. The circumstances of this world have very little to do with the total impact that Jesus has in my life. Listen, one day he'll scoop me up. He'll take me to heaven to be with him forever. Ooh, that'll be good. In the while, I'm here to serve him. Whatever needs to happen, the best part of it is he's with me. Not about what I do. It's about the fact that he has made me a new creation. So do we regularly access the Father? Are we, are we the one, are, are we, is he the one we're seeking for guidance and direction so that we can take hold of the best and let go of the good. What is the good that you're holding on to that causes you to miss the best? So what? How has the coming of Jesus changed everything for us? As you think about that, try to be specific with it. Try to think of some ways that the coming of Jesus has changed things for you. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of this text. In a way, it's been a fire hose this morning, Lord God. We've gone quickly through so much. There's so much more. And Holy Spirit, I know. I know the power you have to illuminate Scripture. 
We've opened your word and we've read it. And so I pray for the things that could have, should have, might have been said that, that you will fill those in in our hearts and lives. That you continue to reveal who you are so that we can know you and know you well. Help each one of us, Lord, to decide to follow you and put everything behind, to follow you quickly, to leave our nets behind, to go where you tell us to go, displaying your truth. We pray this in your name. Amen. Sing with me. I have decided to follow Jesus.